Welcome to The Good Life with Danny Yamashiro. The Good Life Hawaii radio show is a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries, a division of Jesus Christ is Calling You. Contact Danny on Facebook and Twitter or visit him at www.thegoodlifehawaii.org. And now, experience The Good Life today. Welcome to The Good Life. Danny Yamashiro here where we offer hope in the face of life's challenges by providing encouragement with inspirational stories to share. How would you respond if a medical professional told you that the child you once knew will no longer be the same due to a routine procedure that went wrong? Where would you find strength to make it through? What might God do in such a moment? This is the story of Curtis and Deanne Lewis and their daughter, Natalie. As we start, we pause for a moment just to remind you the reason we have the Good Life program is to share how the love of Jesus Christ makes a difference in the lives of people. I'm talking about the love of Jesus so strong. He died on the cross for your sins and mine. He was buried, yes, but three days later, he rose again from the grave, offering God's hope, a hope that Curtis and Deanne Lewis can testify of and live by today. Curtis and Deanne are members of Faith Community Church in Palmdale, California, where Curtis serves as the pastor of missions and families. They have four children, Titus, Natalie, Haven, and Colton. Curtis coached the women's soccer team at the Masters University for 16 seasons. Deanne is a former dispatcher for the Beverly Hills Police Department. Curtis and Deanne, welcome to our show. Thank you very Thank much. You. We're so grateful to be here. What happened to Natalie on April 2nd, 2021? Well, we took Natalie in for um, outpatient surgery. Uh, She has what is called SVT, supraventricular tachycardia, which is a really fancy word, a really fast heart rate in the upper ventricle. Um, It's a really common heart condition, uh, probably the most common if someone is going to have a heart condition. Hers is a little bit more tricky because she has what's called WPW, Wolf-Parkinson's-White syndrome, which can send the electricity the wrong direction and send the heart into AFib. So we knew uh, since about four months old uh, that uh, this surgery was going to be coming. And so we decided when she got the right age and the right weight, uh, Deanne and I sat down with a doctor and uh, decided that um, this was the next step to help uh, cure uh, her situation and get her off uh, the pharmaceuticals and um, kind of get her back to uh, a normal uh, rhythm for her heart. And so we took her on April 2nd, 2021. It was Good Friday. And um, it was during the middle of COVID in the, the cra- craziness of California. And so I, I dropped off Natalie and my wife at the hospital. And uh, then I had to kind of walk away and they went in uh, for the for the surgery. Um, she was five years old at that time. And, um, yeah, we, we kind of waited. The surgery was supposed to take several hours, and um, my wife gave me a call um, 
to sit in the garden with her at the at the hospital and uh, to be able to kind of sit it out together. And I'll let Deanne take it from there. Yeah, so really at the two-hour mark, we were anticipating a call. A female nurse had told me that she would call me and give us an update. And we passed the two-hour mark, and we're just waiting. And um, I was definitely getting nervous, and Curtis is much more laid back and relaxed than I am. He said, it's fine. There's, You know, they just probably got started late. And um, what had really happened is, Right at the two-hour mark, um, the catheter that they were using um, perforated Natalie's heart. And so she was in emergency surgery. They had to do an emergency sternotomy and crack her chest open um, and really pull her heart out and uh, sew it back together. And in that time, um, Natalie suffered a global brain injury because her body wasn't perfusing the blood to, you know, her extremities and her brain. But when she first came out, they really, it was the situation where they just didn't know if they would get her off the table. They called, and as soon as they called me, it was a man's voice, and I knew something was wrong. And we're surrounded by people outside, and all of a sudden I just yelled, is our daughter still alive? And he just said, at this point, she's still alive, and just, drew us into the panic of rushing into the hospital and figuring out where we're trying to go and asking lots of questions, um, meeting with the doctors and sitting in really small rooms. And you're just terrified, right? You just brought your girl, little girl in for a routine procedure. You're supposed to be home that night. And now you're not, don't even know if you're going to take her home. Um, So we got to see her and all the doctors were very hopeful She was um, hooked up to a respirator, and um, her body temperature was rising, so they were doing everything they could to regulate that. Um, But it was on a Friday, and we were very hopeful that by Sunday, Natalie would be awake and talking, and um, that really it would just be the tragedy of having emergency open chest surgery and that she would be healthy and strong. And really when Sunday came around, we started to realize that this tragedy was gonna be even worse than we had thought. So on Tuesday they did an MRI and they came in that evening and told us that it was the worst case scenario. They couldn't understand how it was that bad because Natalie had emergency care, immediate care, and yet it looked like she had been underwater for 15 minutes. Um, We asked about neuroplasticity and just the brain being able to rewire. They said there's no healthy parts of her brain. There's no place for it to rewire. Um, They ended up talking to us that night about whether we would sustain her life. She was still on the respirator. And so Curtis and I had just the hard conversations of whether we would sustain Natalie's life if she couldn't breathe on her own. And we had decided at that point that that we would not sustain her life if she couldn't breathe on her own. So just, you know, just tough conversations. You are supposed to be home and with all four of your kids and 
supposed to be improvement, and now you're staring at the fa the face of death, staring at telling, having to tell your three other kids that they might be losing their sister. They might have to come say goodbye, um, and it was very, very tough. Let's pause here a moment, uh, Curtis and Deanne. Describe the feelings at that time. I actually, that night, I had been staying there, and I just totally had a breakdown. I've never um, felt like I was having a mental breakdown, and I called a counselor that I had been speaking to. It was like 2 in the morning, and at this point, Natalie's body was writhing in pain. They were trying to help her with med after med after med and you're just watching your daughter little five-year-old daughter writhing in pain and I just literally couldn't take it anymore it was like you're watching your child be tortured and it's torture for you and yet you feel horrible leaving her like that um so Curtis ended up coming and picking me up because I couldn't we just couldn't watch it anymore. And she really wasn't cognitively aware. Um, you couldn't even hold her. Her body was just extended and there was like no form of comfort to snuggle her or coddle her. Um, even when you tried to hold her, it was like holding a child that was completely extended out and couldn't you know, you can even like bring them in for a cuddle. Um, you you write so in your, I was you wrote in your book, uh, when life crumbles, finding hope in tough times. There's a description of her, the shape of her body. It's like a stiffness yeah. that it was. It, it, I'm not, I'm not sure if con contorted is a, the right word, but there was a a way her back was bent during that time. Yeah, so she was going through something called dystonia. The brain is so damaged that it's not communicating well with the body. And her neck, her head was extended back, like, towards her, her back. So her spine was circled backwards, and her feet are just pointed straight out. And it's like watching your child be electrocuted, um, just in agony and in pain. Um and just groaning and she like out of breath. Um, she couldn't even catch her breath. Um, like uh, almost like running a marathon out of breath um, because she was just in so much agony. Her body was in so much agony. Curtis, what about you? Your, your emotional state, your mental condition or heart during that time? Yeah, so I think um, obviously on, on Good Friday, when it all happened, um, there were some amazing moments of God's just unbelievable grace and the Holy Spirit just really taking control of really bad situation and and using it for His glory. I I remember very specifically when when the doctor came in, um, I didn't know was my wife going to freak out on him? Was she going to, you know, you just don't know. I mean, just so much emotions. And, and she looked at the doctor and said, you know, today's good Friday and we know where our daughter is going if she doesn't stay with us. And if our daughter's life is, 
is enough to get you to a place of salvation, then it's worth it. And so you had those like supernatural moments because that's not natural. <laughs> that's not a natural thing for a mother to say, uh, you know, and then when we, when we got chance to get into the, the room and see Natalie and, um, you know, was able that the, the electrophysiologist had to go do another surgery and just gave, gave him a hug and said, it's not your fault. You know, this is moments where the spirit is doing what the spirit does um, emotionally. Um, you, I mean, we, we trust in the sovereignty of God, but when something like this happens, the rubber beats the road and all of your theoretical theology has to become practicum. And so it's, it's the knowing what is true and trying to get your emotions to not deceive you. Um, so I remember very specifically, um, you know, within the shower of the, the night when, when DM kind of broke down the next morning and, and just really felt like the Lord was kind of Abraham Isaac stuff, like you need to let your daughter go. And I came out of the shower and just told Deanne that, and she said, you know, I feel like the same way. You know, I think one of the things that we do as parents in America is we, we idolize our families if we're not careful. Um, we want safety. I think safety is one of the highest things that, that Americans want. And as Christians, we can fall into that trap as well. And so I think one of the things that we've had to battle through and struggle with is that God loves my child more than I do. And when you are grappling with the emotions of, of losing your daughter and yet remind yourself that God is good and battling against those emotions and telling yourself truth. I think it is, it's a spiritual battle that's going on so that you can not go insane because when you're not in control of anything, especially as a dad, I mean, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to protect and provide and your daughter. And when you can't do that, um, yeah, it, it breaks you for sure. I was, there were some, some very, very emotional times uh, trying to work through all of that during the hospital. You're listening to Curtis and Deanne Lewis. They are the authors of a devotional book, When Life Crumbles, Finding Hope in Tough Times. They weave through the story of five-year-old Natalie, their precious daughter, their thoughts and experiences as parents. Natalie's heart was punctured during a simple outpatient surgery to repair an arrhythmia. After 15 minutes of CPR, she was left with a global brain brain injury from which doctors said she'd never recover. Uh, what happened next was unexpected. They were there, Curtis and Deanne, having to make the toughest decision that a parent has to make. And they were inclined in a certain direction. Curtis and Deanne, what happened after you made the decision to release her into the hands of God? Yeah, we. I mean, our family didn't even really know that what, that what we had decided was if she, once they removed the respirator if she couldn't breathe on her own we would actually put her back on it and um, plan for our families to come say goodbye and so we didn't want to tell them that ahead of time Um, they knew that she was 
being taken off the respirator, but they didn't know um, that we were, you know, already making those hard decisions. Um, and so they came in that morning um, to take it out. And then all of a sudden they had an emergency and had to leave. Um, so we're just on, you know, pins and needles all morning. Um, and then they came around lunchtime and removed her off the respirator. And, you know, it's like the longest five seconds of your life. Um, and all of a sudden she took a deep breath and like the biggest, biggest hurdle so far for us was over. Um, but then we started the dystonia and that pain that she was in just reached a peak and we're having more conversations of what do we do? How do we help her? How do, how can we take this child home like this? And they just sat us down and they said, we're just hoping that one day your daughter could smile again. She's blind. She can't move anything. She's not going to eat again. You're going to have to get a G-tube put in. Um, you know, basically zero quality of life. And, you know, that leads to other conversations of how do we care for she's what they're saying is she's going to require 24-7 care, and we have three other kids to care for. Um, so just some really tough conversations. And Curtis just said to them, the neurologist, he said, you know, Lazarus was in that tomb dead for days, and we know that God doesn't promise that he will heal Natalie, but we're going to pray to that end, and we're going to ask, you know, the the Facebook coral that's joined us to pray to that end. And we're going to, we're going to do everything we can for our daughter that her quality of life won't just be a smile. You describe the situation in, in such a way that one may clearly sense a, a deep level of faith and so the question is, where, where does this faith come from? Where does this hope come from? A, an unusual sense of, of clarity as we talk about Natalie and, 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 and prayfornatalie.com. That's how you can find out more about this remarkable story that Curtis and Deanne Lewis have lived through. Their family has lived through this story. PrayForNatalie.com. When we come back for from this break, I want to hear a little bit about your faith, Curtis and Deanne, that, that has undergirded you during this time. And as we do, share with us a little bit more about what God did in Natalie's body and in the life of your family. You're listening to Curtis and Deanne Lewis. They are the authors of the book, When Life Crumbles, Finding Hope in Tough Times. Dr. John MacArthur, pastor of Grace Community Church and chancellor of the Master's University and Seminary, wrote the foreword to the book. He says, I am grateful for the Lewis's transparency on the pages of When Life Crumbles, the message of God's grace and mercy is found on every page. The questions and answers addressed are appropriate to everyone's story. 
And the truth of the scriptures offers a way to find peace amidst panic. Stay with us. We'll be back with more. Wandering the road of desperate life Aimlessly beneath the barren sky Leave it to me I'll lead you home Do you have a need that you'd like prayer for? We have a dedicated prayer team who prays for and encourages everyone who needs encouragement. Visit thegoodlifewithdanny.com. Use the Contact Us page to send us your prayer request. May God bless you. Hi, this is Danny Yamashiro. Many people tell me how the Good Life radio show has made a difference in their lives how they've shared our free podcasts with family and friends from thegoodlifehawaii.com. Others have connected on Facebook and Twitter. This is made possible through our corporate sponsors. Thank you to Dr. Jeffrey K. Miyazawa of Winward Family Dentistry, Burt's Union Service Station on School Street, Michael Beasley of Kayani, Fran Villarmia Kahavai of Properties International Limited, Chinen and Arunaga Financial Group Incorporated, A1A Electrician, and orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Calvin Oishi. To find out how to become a corporate sponsor, click partners at thegoodlifehawaii.com. The Good Life Hawaii radio show, Hawaii's only local inspirational Christian talk show on 99.5 The Word, weekdays at 2 p.m. and 12 midnight, providing opportunities to connect family and friends with Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us for The Good Life. This program is possible only with the support of listeners like you. Would you consider going to thegoodlifewithdanny.com and making a donation today? Listening to The Good Life with Danny Yamashiro. The Good Life Hawaii radio show is a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries, a division of Jesus Christ is Calling You. Contact Danny on Facebook and Twitter or visit him at www.thegoodlifehawaii.org. Now, let's rejoin Danny and his special yes, guests. Yes, I want to encourage you to go to prayfornatalie.com. Prayfornatalie.com. That's where you can find out more about this incredible story, but also how to get the book, When Life Crumbles. It's a devotional book by Curtis and Deanne Lewis, Finding Hope in Tough Times. Yes, When Life Crumbles, Hope in Jesus, Hope in God. Find out more there. And to find more programs like these, podcasts, uh, The Good Life with Danny dot com curtis and deanne the the bedrock of your story of god's miraculous work in the life of natalie is grounded in a faith take us back share a bit where you each grew up curtis why don't you go first yeah i grew up in in northern nevada in sparks nevada and um, I got saved when I was about seven, one of those hellfire and brimstone messages and, you know, I didn't want to go to hell and my mom explained that I didn't have to and 
So I think I was saved at that point. I think my freshman year of high school is when I truly became a disciple, uh, sold out. Um, I was at Sparks High School, and, um, you know, my my best friends at the time were a Mormon, a Catholic, and a Jew, and we all played soccer together. And my Mormon friend, um, his mom had terminal cancer, and um, obviously the, the thought process of the LDS was quite different than what uh, what evangelical Christianity is, and we just got a new youth pastor, and he started meeting with me once a week, and discipling me, and uh, inviting me to um, you know youth group, and teaching me, and so my life just took off. And um, then my junior year, we got a, a, a new youth pastor um, from this place called the Masters College, and he had a huge impact on me, and um, you know I. I said, I want to go where this guy went. So what did you major in? He majored in theology. So I'm majoring in theology. <laughs> and I got a soccer scholarship to go play at the, the master's college. Now it's the master's university. And that's, uh, you know, that's where I met Deanne's brother, um, who we both played uh, on the soccer team together. And eventually that's where I met Deanne. But my, you know, my development, I think, was, uh, was guys taking interest in me. Uh, pouring, uh, pouring God's word into my heart and my life, spending time with me. I remember uh, they invited me to this thing they call the Dead Theologian Society, and we read the Institutes of the Christian Religion by John Calvin. And, you know, it just was a, a love for for God and a love for seeing His glory be made known. And uh, and then I got a hold of John Piper's stuff when I I got to the Master's University, and you know, it was the first time that like you didn't either have to be holy or happy. It was like this beautiful mixture that, you know, God is most glorified. And that's when we were most satisfied in him, that Westminster catechism question one. And my, my, my life just took off and, and I just, this was what I wanted. I, I wanted to love God with everything I had and serve him with everything I had. Hmm. Deanne, what about your story? I mean, Curtis, what a remarkable and clear, <laughs> clear description of, his journey. How about yours, Dan? Yeah. Curtis um, is more of the theological and um, deeper thinker. And I'm like, I just want to love Jesus. And mm-hmm. I just like, we balance each other really well in that. Um, so I accepted Christ when I was five. I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was the pastor of our church. Um, and so just kind of steadily grew um, and really, um, just, I love how Curtis words, it like became a disciple of Christ. When I entered high school, I was blessed to go to a Christian high school and really had the mentorship of, um, coaches there. And I ran cross country there. I hated running, but the coach, um, just built a team dynamic that was really Christ centered and it really just developed my understanding of who God was and built a diligence and a perseverance, um, through, through running and soccer was really my sport, but, um, man, that coach just did a great job of discipleship through his sport. Um, and I really grew in those ways in high school and then went to the master's college at the time, really because of Curtis, um, we were already dating and just, um, committed to each other. And, um, so I pursued going there. Uh, I was looking at other Christian colleges, um, but just enjoyed my time 
there growing uh, in the Lord and really, you know, kind of just had the Christian American life of not, not a lot of tragedy, not a lot of hardship, but very thankful for that time of growth because I, I agree with what you said. It's the building blocks to dealing with these tragedies um, and facing what, what we did with our daughter. Um, so I'm thankful for just each piece that, that God built through those years and us getting married a little bit younger. Um, I was 21 when we got married. I had just turned 21. Um, and God just continued to build my faith brick by brick and um, really just wanting to love Christ with my life. And um, we had four children, you know, at the time of Natalie's injury. And I had really just decided, hey, I am just enjoying being home and enjoying mommying and caring for these souls that God has blessed me with. And Curtis has always been more of the extravagant, you know, I want to go die for Christ. And I was like, hey, just let me minister to my babies here and seek to pursue my my kids knowing Christ and learning in the home. And had I had no desire to be stressed to a public venue, um, which this has done. And our whole goal in being able to share God's story through what he's done in Natalie is for his glory and for him to get any credit that there is and any um, goodness that there is and to be able to share. You know, I know sometimes people can hear Curtis's vigor and say, oh, that's not me. You know, you have an amazing face. And I'm the one that's here to say, no, like I was a simple Christian and just like anyone can feel and yet God carried us through this tragedy in a really beautiful way. And it doesn't mean it wasn't hard and there weren't tears and there wasn't heartache and just crying out to God for mercy. Um, but he truly carried us and sustained us and was so faithful. And I love the picture of Jesus weeping with Mary and Martha when he knew he was going to raise Lazarus. Um, he paused and he took the time to cry with them. And that was the picture that I clung to in our tragedy is that Jesus was weeping with us and this didn't make Jesus happy. He was going to use it, but he was crying and hurting with us. We need to circle back. We need to circle back on what God continued to do. You write affectionately about her, one who reads your book, When Life Crumbles, Finding Hope in Tough Times. They will read Natty, Natty Bug, Princess Natalia. <laughs> Referred to by you and your parents as your mom and dad, you know, writes letters to you as you refer to her. How did Natalie come through the great suffering? And what has happened in the course or the progress of her recovery, her healing? 
So we really left her like kind of in a spot of pain and agony as we ended the, the story. And they ended up deciding to sedate her, um, just trying to snap her body out of this writhing pain because really at that point she was going to end up dying because her body couldn't sustain that high rhythm and um, just what her kidneys couldn't process all of that at, at a sustained rate. So they sedated her um, and we hadn't both been home with our kids. It had been probably 10 days. And so they said, you know, go home to your kids and get some time with your kids. Um, so we spent about 24 hours coming back on a Sunday, shared with our church, you know, where, where we were at and what was going on and came back that next day. And one of the nurses said, you know, I feel like she smiled at me. And we just were kind of like, yeah, right, you know, <laughs> hopeful and yet want, not wanting to put your heart in a place that it was, that was not healthy to go to. And yet over the next couple of days and the next couple of weeks, although we were seeing some problems with her body having pain, she was focusing on us. We found, we noticed she was focusing on the TV up in the corner, um, which didn't have the sound coming from the TV. So it didn't make a lot of sense for her eyes to be focusing there. The sound was coming from behind her. Um, but she was smiling at us. She was responding to us being there. She was laughing with us. And we really just started to see life, life come back into our daughter. And yet she couldn't move her legs on command. She couldn't sit up. She couldn't move her neck. She couldn't move her hands. She couldn't utter a single word, um, couldn't eat anything or drink anything. And so it was like you were seeing life in this child and yet had zero capabilities to do anything. And I remember walking into her room one morning and just saying, God, give her something. Give her something that she can do. There's life here and yet there's nothing, no ability to move or do anything. Deanne and Curtis, uh, let me push the pause button here. As she's... The, the, her condition is changing. At what point, when you made the decision to, let's say, uh, and this may be a bit abrupt or a bit hard in saying, basically to, to, to let her go, when did things change after you made that decision? I mean, Curtis, I think you would probably say, like, once she was off the respirator and we went with neurology, do you remember what you said? Yeah, I think, um, you know, they, they, they put her in that medical coma. And then once she started coming out off that medical coma, she was on so many drugs. Um, but I think how many days was that, Deanne? Um, it was probably a, a, a week um, of really being almost completely sedated. And then as they started pulling her off is when we started seeing some life come back into her. Um, and that's you know, when she took the breath she took the breath on the i was just uh, so the surgery was on the friday and um wednesday was when they extubated her and she took the breath 
so that for us was like, hey, there's life moving forward. And yet then when she was in a bunch of pain, we just said to them, like, how do you sustain life for this? And they just said, well, she's breathing like there's nothing we can do. And yet we're looking at her like writhing in pain and we're saying, how do we leave her like this? Um, So then it was the challenge of like, okay, she's breathing on her own, but she can't eat anything or take anything in. And she's in just extreme pain. So after the medical sedation and she's coming off of that, um, really it's called hype, you know, it's called neurostorming, which is the dystonia um, that started to subside a little bit. Um, and that was the hope is that they would almost put her on so much meds that her, her system would be able to reboot a little bit. Mm. Um, and there was still a, a massive amount of problems, but it seemed like that did allow it to, to reset and reboot a little bit where there was still some, some dystonia and some hyperspecificity that we were dealing with. But um, that's where we started seeing um, some of some of the smiling and some of the giggling and, and that kind of stuff that started coming back, some interactions that were happening. Who were some of the key people who helped you along the way? I mean, family is obviously huge, right? In having them, my parents cared for the other three, um, just kind of gotten thrust into caring, being parents, you know, taking in three kids. Um, Curtis's parents were so faithful and just being available and being faithful in prayer. Um, my brother um, just became the biggest prayer warrior that I have ever met. And uh, he would come and sit outside Natalie's hospital room and just pray for her. And we had had a community group that that even prayed for her before the procedure. We all sat in my, our living room and prayed together. And those families were just integral, integral and just being helpful. And one of them is the one that maintained the Facebook for us um, and just kind of mediated um, all the requests and people wanting to help. We just directed them to um, Curtis's friend, our friend Jason. Um, so those families really just came in and surrounded us and cared for us. But really it was more even more than we could even count, you know, you were, it was an amazing blessing to see the community of Christ come together. And you couldn't even thank everybody because it was cards were coming in and notes were coming in and phone calls were coming in. And it was just so much that you couldn't even keep track of it all. Um, And we were so thankful that we had invested in our church and in our community because they just did what God calls the body to do, and they came around us and loved on us. And we had people that would come and and stay with Natalie. We had, our little guy turned one while Natalie was in the hospital, so two of my girlfriends came and stayed with Natalie, so she wasn't alone. We had people that were coming regularly to stay with me when Curtis wasn't there because it was just hard to help Natalie and maneuver her and. When she got the G-tube, she was throwing up all the time. So it was stressful to make sure she was safe when she was throwing up because she couldn't move herself in a safe position. And our friends and family just jumped in and were kind of all hands on deck. Um, And it was really just beautiful to see the body of Christ just envelop us and envelop Natalie at that time. 
so much support. Yeah, some of the things that the church sometimes gets a bad rap. We don't love each other. We don't this. Like, man, it it showed me that being faithful uh, in 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 a certain location or a certain ministry for long periods of time, there's huge blessings in it. I think a lot of people, especially kind of in the nomadic sort of lifestyle that people live now, they don't get a chance to be blessed by that. I mean, Deanne grew up in that church. I had been at Faith Community Church since 2000. Um, I've been at Masters for, you know, 16 years. Um, so just this, these deep roots, all different, you know, players, past players, and, um, you know, it was, it was just amazing. That I yeah, the department and raising money. One of, some of the people, because it was COVID, um, I had we had a former player that that worked uh, at the hospital, and she was integral because she would just come and bless us and encourage us and give us give us strength and talk to us because no one else could come in. Like literally, it was just the staff and and the patients. No one else could come in, so it was this the very first, isolating the time first three and. Weeks. Yeah, the right, first, the first three weeks. Three weeks. And so yep. it was a it was an it was an amazing opportunity for God's people to do God's things, and they got an A plus. Mm. It was it was unbelievable A the plus. love and the care, um, Uber gift cards, um, because we wanted to minister in the hospital. It felt like it's it sounds really weird, but it felt like a short term missions trip almost. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were in there and it was just like, how can we bless? How can we serve? We bring donuts. Well, we start having people come every Friday in order to bring donuts for the staff so we could hand it out to the staff. So it was just really this unbelievable opportunity that like, here's the gospel. Like this stinks. It's a horrible situation. And yet isn't this the story of Christ? I mean, think about on Good Friday, like Christ was being crucified. Like he's dying. That's a horrible situation. And 2000 years later, we're singing songs and that's what God does. He takes horrible, tragic situations and he brings beauty out of ashes. Mm. And I even know, you know, for the, the situation that's going on in Maui, you know, the horrific situation, like I urged the church in, in, in Maui, I urged the church in Hawaii to, to just be the light, be the gospel because good can come out of great tragedy. Curtis and Deanne, that encouragement is there, and we thank you for it. In what ways did Natalie's condition impact Titus, Haven, and Colton? Yeah, that's a big question because I think it's still going on. Um, I wanted to piggyback off of what Curtis just said, too. The doctor that performed the surgery, the procedure, was integral and supporting us through that time too. And he was such a huge blessing. We have a great relationship with him. Uh, as we think about our other kids, um, they still struggle. Um, Natalie really doesn't remember much about that time because she was on so many medications, um, which is really a blessing from the Lord, right? That she doesn't remember too much about that. Um, but our other kids, definitely remember and definitely hurt over it. And we, we are seeking to do our best to make things available to them, um, to talk about it and process it. The goodness of God through tragedy is 
a hard concept for an adult. And then to talk to your kids about it, it's even more complicated. Um, and we didn't even necessarily know what to tell them when Natalie was injured. Titus was eight at the time. He had just turned eight and Haven was three. Um, so we, we didn't know where, where Natalie would be and what she would be capable of because a brain injury is just unpredictable. And it's not like she lost the arm and we could tell them Natalie lost her arm. Um, and so we kept it very simple in the beginning. And I think that was really hard for Titus. I wish we would have been maybe a little bit more honest because he is perceptive enough that he knew something was going on and we weren't sharing the details. Um, and so, I mean, just in the last month, I've found him crying in his room just with sadness and it doesn't make it better for him that Natalie has made so much progress. There's still just the hurt of that tragedy and working through that. And that's okay. God calls us to come to him. And I just told him, Hey, let's take that sadness to Jesus. And I think the Psalms are a beautiful picture of taking our sorrow and sadness and hurt and pain to Jesus. And David just shows us calling out and saying, God, what are you doing? And so trying to make that available to each of our kids and then also directing them back in truth. You're listening that God to, loves them. You're listening to Deanne Lewis sharing about her family, Natalie, her experiences, and also Titus Haven and Colton. Her mother, Deanne says, I love you too much to leave you like this. Her words to her daughter, writhing in pain. Her daughter, Natalie, has endured that pain, and God, in his grace, has been doing a remarkable and miraculous work of restoration in her life and has touched their family, and through their family, touching others like us today as they speak. Find out more about Natalie and pray for Natalie at prayfornatalie.com. You can get their their book there, When Life Crumbles. It's a devotional book to encourage and inspire you. Prayfornatalie.com. Looking back, Deanne and Curtis, how did you keep from getting bitter and placing blame? Yeah, I... Um... God, <laughs> the Holy Spirit. Uh, I think having having right theology before tragedy comes is really important. And to understand that God's promises are good and that he works all things together for the good, that knowing that and trusting that and attempting to live that out in the mundane of life, um, I think prepares you for when the game comes, you know, and being a soccer coach, uh, you do this all the time. We do this all the time in life is we practice. Uh, and then when the real, the real thing comes, those who are prepared are able to then make a, a proper stand. And so it's really interesting before the, the injury actually happened. I, we were sitting down, I think we were at a Panera and I looked at Deanne. I said, Deanne, do you think our life is just a little too easy? 
like everything's going well, you know, and the next thing we have is, is this situation. And I don't think, I don't think God would give this particular thing to everybody, but he gave it to us. And because he gave it to us, there is a, a lesson and there is hope and there is, um, there's goodness that's going to happen because we can trust God's promises. I think one of the things that you have to do, um, I remember very specifically on day one, Dia and I both looked at each other and we said, we will not blame each other. Um, because the, the rate of divorce when something like this happens goes through the roof and the commitment to each other, the commitment to the Lord, the, the willingness to, have something to both work for and work out, um, I think really gave us a, a new renewed vigor and a, a new purpose. And when you said before the commercial break that Natalie uh, uh, has that fighting spirit as, as my wife being a, you know, an all American uh, TMU hall of fame, um, God, even in the midst of, of suffering, I think he chose the correct child for this to happen to. You know, as I look back, I look at the personalities. I look at, at, at my oldest son. I look at my, my youngest, you know, daughter. And um, Natalie was the peacemaker. She's, she's most like my wife. She's a fighter. And it's the amazing grace of God that even in the midst of suffering, he is kind and he is good and he is gentle. And he has already experienced it. The, the, and for the joy set before him, endured the cross. And so I think the amazing thing is I've always believed in the resurrection without a shadow of a doubt. Um, but when you're going through tragedy, the hope of the res- resurrection, um, it carries a different weight because Natalie will be healed um, because we have heaven. And heaven is the great promise of redemption and fullness and being with Jesus and no more sin or pain or sorrow. And so I think having that sort of perspective grants us the ability to know that this is not the end and it gives you hope. I've seen some beautiful watercolor pictures, paintings of Natalie. And it reminds me to ask for prayer because of the paintings, figuratively speaking, of how God and his brush strokes are being moved in our lives in the midst of pain. And I'd like to ask you both in these final moments to share, share a prayer, say a prayer for someone who is going through an unbearable moment right now. Would you do that, Deanne, first? And then Curtis, please. Ask for your grace for the person that just feels like they can't take the next step. We pray that you would carry them, that you would take their burden, that they would know that they could run into your arms and be washed in your grace and mercy. And we just ask that they would look into your face and find um, salvation and find hope because we know our greatest hope can come from you. We ask that you would be their rescuer and their salvation and that they would feel your peace. Oh God, there are not always answers to the whys of 
why you do what you do and why you allow certain things to happen. And there are great tragedies and there are great pain in this life. But we do know that you are sovereign and you sit on your throne and you will make all things right at the end. When we get to heaven, we will see and say thank you. And so, Father, I pray and ask that you would just give an eternal perspective to that tragedy right now. You would help that person cling to you and your cross, and they would understand that you have gone before them. And there is a greater tragedy than physical pain. There is a greater tragedy than suffering, and it's the eternal separation from you. And there are times in which you use tragedy to awaken our souls that we might finally, for the first time, see your goodness and see your face, to reach out our hands and to call upon you, to confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead and we will be saved. And that will be the best salve for this tragedy, for in that knowledge, we have eternal life. And we have whole bodies, and we have rescued souls, and we have an eternity that is secure with you. And so I just pray and ask that you would grant those eyes to see and ears to hear your wonderful truth of the gospel. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Deanne and Curtis, what is Natalie like today? Oh, man, she is herself her personality is back and she is just a joy for us um we're just so grateful she is a sibling and sister through and through she fights with her siblings and plays with her siblings and um is funny is she didn't talk for 10 months and um, then one of the therapies that we were using, using really seemed to spark just that ability to speak and it has just carried forward and, um, just the core essence of who she was is return. And we are so very grateful for that. Her heart to trust in the Lord has, is intact and she is sensitive to the Holy Spirit when we, um, you know, challenge her in her actions and in her attitude. Um, and yet there's a sadness for her too. And she's very aware that she can't do what she once did and that things are much harder for her um, as far as school and just those different avenues that she's in. Um it's a lot harder for her. And so she struggles with those things. She struggles with, you know, crying about them and um, having a, just a sadness about them. And so that would be a huge prayer request for, for us, for her, is for her to just continue to persevere and for her to have a picture. Uh, it's hard to explain to a now eight-year-old the harder you work, the better you can get. Um, and sometimes she just wants to give up, and which is totally understandable. Um, and we try to find the balance of pushing her and comforting her and giving her a break. Um, but we are just so thankful to have her 
able to talk with us again and express love and affection, you know, that that's the greatest thing you miss as a parent, right? Is their, their personality and being able to communicate that personality. And um, we're so grateful to have that. And she's, she's taking steps and walking short distances on her own, but she gets scared. And so continuing to work through being strong and courageous in the Lord and knowing that you're going to fall and we just need to get back up and um, lots of gospel truths there for her little heart, but just big things for a little eight-year-old to have to, from five to eight, have to learn and deal with. And it's heartbreaking for us too. You talk about how do we deal with not being bitter? And I think one big thing is to know that it still creeps in. And that you still have those moments where you just go, oh, it's so hard to watch her not be able to jump up and run with her friends. And it's okay to mourn those things and just take them to the Lord again and say, pray over them and leave them at his feet and know that your heart is going to feel those things probably a million more times, um, but God has done so much goodness through this, and there's been so much beauty through the ashes that we're so grateful for. Um, and she is definitely a joy um, in our home and in our family and in our community. Deanne and Curtis, thank you. Thank you for sharing your hearts with us today. Thank you. Thank well, you so much. Hope-filled words from Curtis and Deanne Lewis. Prayfornatalie.com. Share this podcast with a friend or family member. And remember, friend, God's timing is perfect. Look, if you haven't done so, this might be that perfect moment for you to open your heart to Christ. Go to thegoodlifewithdanny.com for next steps and resources to share. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and other podcast platforms. Philippians 1.6, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. It's always a blessing to be with you. Thank you to Curtis and Deanne Lewis. Pray for Natalie.com. Until next time, along with my technical producer, Chaz Ontai, social media director, Luke Yamashiro, and guest coordinator, Jan Yi. I'm Danny Yamashiro. Remember, there is always hope in Jesus as you share his love with someone today. Thank you for listening in on today's broadcast of The Good Life with host Danny Yamashiro. We hope that today's program has been a blessing for you. The Good Life radio program is listener supported and we'd like to encourage you to pray about becoming a sponsor or donor. Your support makes it possible for us to continue to minister to God's people through The Good Life. To become a sponsor or to make a donation, please visit thegoodlifehawaii.org. That's thegoodlifehawaii.org. And may God richly bless you with The Good Life.